presenting John Gabriel, the undisputed king of stuff. What is up, podcasts? This is your favorite podcast, of course, and your favorite podcast host, of course. Thank you very much for joining me. Deciding to fly solo this time around. I haven't done a solo show. I haven't done many lately. They're mostly interviews, so I'm a little out of practice. So uh, bear with me as I ramble through the most important news of the day. As I've said over the past few weeks, it seems like things are trending in the GOP direction. According to polls, um, all these races that people thought there's no way the GOP senator can win, those are all changing. Uh, It's even tightening up a bit. Still quite a ways to go, but tightening up in New York for the governor, Lee Zeldin, has been making an impact. So uh, we will see if that continues. J.D. Vance debated Tim Ryan last night. I'm recording this on Tuesday. It crushed him. Um, It was very brutal. It was very ugly. So that seems to be going well. Warnock and Herschel Walker also debated, and people thought Herschel Walker has not been a very compelling speaker. I've barely seen any of his stuff, so I'm not a good judge of this, but apparently he dominated as well and has been really hitting hard against Warnock for uh, some past um, wrongs that he has done. Obviously, he doesn't really fit the state since he's so far to the left. But also, too, Herschel Walker has been pounding this one issue that the media is afraid to touch about how Warnock, in association with his church, have been trying to evict members of low-income housing that they own and rent out. So uh, the press is trying to avoid that. Uh, We will see how that happens here in Arizona. I actually went to see Blake Masters. Was it Friday night? They had a little confab in North Scottsdale. And uh, yeah, he's a really good speaker. I wasn't expecting much speaking-wise. They had a bunch of different people up there um, talking, um, but he was really sharp and polished in a good way, not in a robot way, but just genuine. So he was doing pretty well, and he's been within the margin margin of error, excuse me, in the polls for quite a while here in Arizona. So I think things are trending well for him. Uh, The one debate he had with Mark Kelly, Mark Kelly did not do too well. Also on national polls, uh, you're having a lot of indications that not only are GOP voters returning to the fold and supporting the Republican in their congressional district, running for the Senate, governor, you name it, but also independents, especially independent women, wildly breaking for the GOP. And the independent women thing is the biggest surprise there because a lot of people on the left have been talking nothing but abortion. And it isn't working. It's turning people off. I know it has turned me off. I've seen uh, tons and tons of ads, especially on YouTube. They're mostly Democratic. It's all abortion all the time. I, I don't get it. It's not, you know, late term abortions are not a winning issue. And uh, most people want some kind of restrictions. I'm like total restriction is what I would prefer. But, you know, that isn't popular either. That's why I'm not in politics. Um, Yeah, my views, I would be lucky to get 1% uh, for all the things I think on various issues. But again, it's just not appealing to people. Harvard and Harris did a pretty fascinating poll, wrote a short post about it on Ricochet on Monday. But what they did is they interviewed a bunch of voters and asked what they thought about various issues. They asked them, what are the top three issues you're concerned about right now? And they said, inflation, economy, immigration, top three. Is any of this a surprise? No, not in the slightest. 
What do they think that Republicans are mostly focused on? Immigration, inflation, the economy. So the exact same three issues that voters care about, those are the three issues that Republicans are hammering on. What do most voters think Democrats have been focusing on? January 6th is number one, followed by women's rights, polite way of saying abortion, and last is climate change. Three issues that are way down the list for the average American voter. Um, When they um, ranked all the issues voters care about, January 6th ranked number 19. Um, It's number one with what Democrats are talking about. I've seen a few of those ads as well. Mostly it's abortion here, but they have just been pounding uh, January 6th stuff. They were doing it a lot during the primaries for some reason. Not as prevalent now. Now it's just abortion all the time. Among the American people, abortion is the fifth most important issue. So it's still up there, but it's not one of the top three, to say the least. Climate is number eight among voter concerns. Yet those are the three issues that Democrats are focused on. This does not uh, bode well for Democrats, and especially with things breaking the GOP's way. We will see what happens. Some races that people haven't even been following. There's a Senate race in Colorado, and uh, the um, he's still a ways off. But the Republican running against the incumbent there is coming on strong. Apparently, he has very high positives. Even Democrats are like, well, yeah, I won't vote for him, but he seems like a really good guy. He's uh, very qualified and pretty good. It is three weeks until Election Day. Early voting has started in most places, um, especially in Georgia. Early voting in Georgia is breaking all records. That's the place that was supposed to be Jim Crow 2.0, Jim Crow on steroids, Jim Eagle with voter suppression. Yeah, people are turning out like gangbusters there. And they're allowed to vote in Georgia right now. They aren't in Delaware. They aren't in New York State. So uh, that was a little bit ridic, as the kids say. No, I hope that isn't crude to say what I did is abbreviate ridiculous to make it edgy and cool. So I tend to do that a lot, being such a cool guy myself. But the funniest thing I've seen in my YouTube advertising, it's like I never watch TV anymore, um, but that doesn't make me highly moral because I watch a lot of YouTube. I'm always trying to get information and history stuff and music stuff and a bunch of nerdy stuff as well. Um, if that stuff, the initial stuff wasn't nerdy enough, But I keep getting targeted with Spanish language ads. I'm like, okay, all these ads are targeted on YouTube. They know that I'm a middle-aged dad, married, middle-income, fill-in-the-blank. They probably know that I lean conservative, too. And they keep targeting with ads Spanish language or with um, the voiceovers by people with this thick Hispanic accent, you know, in our area, Arizona, mostly Mexican-derived accents, I guess, people who haven't lived here too long. They just keep pushing this on me. Um, I I don't know. It's just weird. It's like, how are you guys targeting your ads? Because I am not the target market for this stuff. I don't know. If it was all Democrats talking about, yay, military, flying U.S. flags, we're going to fix the economy, darn it, that would make sense. But, man, they are wasting a lot of their money on these uh, unfocused ad Ukraine is, of course, continues to be in the news. Not a lot big going on here since last week when they blasted a very vital bridge uh, linking Russia to Crimea, that peninsula. Um, Yeah, there's been a lot of rumors, wars and rumors of wars, as they say. 
but uh, not a lot going on. Well, Elon Musk, and I think I mentioned this on last week's show, about a week ago, um, after getting told to F off by various Ukrainian politicians and blasted for daring to think that maybe nuclear war would be bad and it might be better if we all just talked with each other, uh, such a dangerous thought. Well, on Monday, he decided, he said, you know what, it's cost me a lot of money. I'll keep the Starlink internet going for Ukraine, even though he was kind of hinting, hey, maybe could somebody else pay for this since everybody in Ukraine apparently hates me and I'm the worst person in the world. Um, So he's going to pay for it. David Frum, though, the neocons neocon, the guy, um, the intellectual giant um, promoting the war in Iraq, um, he got on Twitter and said, here's what we need to do. We need to seize Starlink from Elon Musk. The federal government should seize it from him because there's lots of precedent for this because Woodrow Wilson did this all the time in World War I. Woodrow Wilson is evil and a monster and a racist. And what else? What else can I say about him? That's about all I got right now. But he's easily one of our worst, if not the worst president we've ever had. He said a whole bunch of bad presidents David Trump, go away. I know he went hard against Trump because, uh, I don't know, Trump didn't think that it was that wise in retrospect to go into Iraq. David Trump's still bitter about that. And he's saying that we need to seize Starlink because we're at war. No, we are not at war. Ukraine is at war. Russia's at war. You could say places like the Baltic states, Poland, etc. They might be preparing for war. Only two countries are at war. And yeah, let's help out Ukraine where we can. It's not our war, though. Don't draw us into this. Um, it is It is not our deal. Um, I read, uh, doing the Lincoln Fellowship at Claremont, I read a lot of foreign policy of the founders, especially, well, John Quincy Adams wasn't exactly a founder. However, um, his whole mentality when it came to foreign policy is we will encourage and embrace and cheer on any liberty, pro-freedom movement around the world. We're only going to protect our own, though. We'll cheer it on. We'll give you moral support. We'll give you attaboys and pats on the back. We're not jumping into everybody's issues to preserve their vaguely American style of government. Um, Actually, that's Putin's excuse for invading Ukraine. You know, it was almost like a, a little colony, a little woke Western colony right there on his border. And that was BS because, yeah, why don't you win them over by, I don't know, great trade ties with them and cultural exchanges with them. You don't invade the country. However, yeah, uh, David Frum, please stop. Uh, The pro-war caucus among, especially former Republicans, Adam Kinzinger is another one, the guy who has country first as his Twitter banner, and then he has a Ukrainian flag followed by an American flag. In other words, Ukraine first seems to be his goal. Yeah, all the warmongering when it comes to Ukraine has to chill out a bit. Um, I think anybody with any kind of common sense hopes that this calms down soon. You don't have to be pro-Putin to say, I hope a lot of Ukrainian and Russian soldiers and Ukrainian civilians don't get slaughtered for the next year or two. We want it to end and end quickly. And we should all uh, focus on that as our goal, not uh, seizing private assets of uh, tech giants. Okay, going back to the midterms, uh, Joe Biden, he is... uh, He's not getting a lot of invitations from Mensa lately, let's say that. And what he did today on Tuesday is hold a huge rally on the economy? No. On immigration? No. Crime? No. 
Not that either he held it on abortion. One of those issues that Democrats keep talking about that the voters don't care that much about. It was crazy, and it was just typical Biden word salad. One of his quotes, he's bragging about same-sex marriage. He's called it the right that I pushed hard and finally got changed to marry couples in the privacy of their bedroom. Okay, that was one fantastic quote that he did. He also bragged about Supreme Court precedents like Griswold, Lawrence, and Ulfred. Apparently, Ulfred it was supposed to refer to Obergefell. Eh, close enough. And then he finished it with a truly stirring cry, uh, which all Americans, we can't help but weep. Biden said, God bless you all and may God protect our troops. Thank you. I'm sorry. After a very long pause, he said, I was apologizing for my back. Whew, Democrats, Democrats, Democrats. Wow, there is going to be a whole bunch of uh, recriminations going on after the midterms. Um, I have mentioned this before. You're going to see immediately after the midterms, by that weekend, you're going to have people talking about, huh, and these are Democratic organs saying this. I wonder if we should be looking to get a new president, and then every few weeks there will be another trial balloon. Maybe Pete Buttigieg see what people think. Maybe Kamala Harris, maybe Gavin Newsom. Um, they are going to want to get off the Biden train as soon as possible, and it is going to be extremely difficult to dislodge him from the office or skip over Kamala Harris. And both of them are wildly unpopular. Um, Kamala Harris has been under 30. Joe Biden has dipped under 40 several times. Uh, not looking good for the future of the Democratic Party, and they cannot agree on basically anything between their more quote-unquote moderate wing and their progressive wing. It is going to be a mess over there, folks. But thankfully, when it comes to challenging the administration, there is a single reporter in the press conferences of the White House who actually asked challenging questions. Now, when Peter Ducey started out, I thought, I remember his dad, who was on like Fox and Friends, the morning show. I, I think he's still with the network. Maybe he still does that. There's no way on earth I'm waking up early enough and then turning on cable news. So I was thinking, I don't know, is this Peter Ducey cat is going to be like his dad? Because who always just seemed kind of local newsy and goofy. Well, you kind of have to be for morning news, I guess. Um, but man, he is coming at it strong. He was talking to Karine Jean-Pierre, Ducey asked, what is President Biden's top domestic priority right now? Is it inflation or abortion? KJP said, oh, well, inflation is the number one economic priority, but abortion is one of them too. Ducey again, you just said inflation is his number one economic priority. We've heard the president say inflation is his top domestic priority, but now he's saying come next year, his first bill will be abortion related. So is his number one domestic priority abortion or inflation? And then she mumbled stuff about, I don't know, Putin, infrastructure, the American Rescue Plan. I don't even remember which one that was, but I'm sure it cost $2 billion. Back to Ducey. So you said Biden's been working on the economy every day for 19 months. Bloomberg economists are forecasting a 100% chance of a recession. So how is it that we can be barreling toward a recession and the economy is, as the president says, strong as hell. KJP immediately deferred to, well, the job market's strong. Okay, not, not really because people are dropping out and not working at all. Yes, yeah, so a good, uh, good job, Ducey. Also hit her on um, constantly releasing 
petroleum from our national strategic petroleum reserves, which is insane. Those are for wartime. And uh, Trump actually wanted to top them off, fill them up while gas was cheap. Democrats denied him. Apparently, that was an evil idea that was going to help oil companies. And Trump is evil, so we can't let him do it. Well, Biden is darn near draining the thing. So in case of a real economic crisis, it's bad enough economy now. I don't know. Say there's another uh, October 2008 fall dip in the market. Say China decides to attack Taiwan. What do we do for all our extra fuel? Well, it's all gone. And uh, Biden has on occasion said he's going to refill it, but now at about three times the price of what gas was per gallon when uh, before he got in office. So uh, not not looking good on that. One other poll of voters, likely voters, which was interesting, is Democrats, of course, have been pushing January 6th. Republicans are a threat to democracy. They're ultra, super detailed, ultra mega fascist, fill in the whatever the adjective is this week about how if we're, if people go out and vote for the wrong person, that's an attack on democracy. They've been trying to play this for a while. Well, when they polled voters, uh, which party do you think is more anti-democratic, small d? They said Democrats are a bigger threat to democracy than Republicans. Um, yeah, that, that was a little interesting. That was pretty good. I, I think people are just like, guys, you've oversold this. Uh, middle of last week, there was yet another January 6th committee hearing. It's like barely anybody even talked about it. They said they want to indict Trump. I know that was one headline that came out of it. But most of the coverage was just people of the never Trump or straight out pro-Democratic Party side saying, why don't more people care about this? Why do they care about stupid things like the economy when they could care about January 6th and our stupid January 6th hearing? Okay, Scream against the dying of the light all you want, people. Voters don't care. They care about the price of milk at the uh, grocery store down the street. They care about how much it costs to drive kids to and from school or get to or from the office. That's what people care about. It's the economy, stupid. Democrats, you invented that statement. You might want to go back to it, but, you know, come on. It's a little bit late. Here in Arizona, we have a Senator Mark Kelly, who is the incumbent Democrat. And now also, in the past couple of days, I've noticed he has a new ad. He's not only talking about abortion and reminding everybody that he's an astronaut, which apparently is very important. Now he's saying he's bragging about how much he opposed Joe Biden. In the past few days, I've actually seen uh, Mark Kelly in his uh, constant YouTube ads saying how much he disagrees with Joe Biden and how he's holding Biden's feet to the fire. That's uh, never a good sign when you completely change your campaign message a few weeks before the campaign. Uh, but yeah, at least he's changing his message a bit. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think things are looking great for him or other people. We will see how that goes. Okay, the other thing I wanted to get at, it kind of relates to a book that I read over the weekend. I got uh, way too addicted to it and read it faster than I should have, um, meaning I ignored everything else on earth to focus on that. But it concerns uh, China. Joe Biden, apparently, I don't know all the details, but apparently he did something very good for China. What he did is uh, he put together some new technology restrictions on China. What the U.S. has said is uh, no U.S. staff can help the semiconductor industry in the People's Republic of China. 
And uh, if they'd like to continue working there, they lose American citizenship immediately, uh, which is uncharacteristically harsh, especially for a Democratic administration. But it's very good. He has blocked any kind of imports of semiconductors um, to China, certain like high-end ones. He's also said that no equipment to make these high-end semiconductors cannot be sold to China. Um, so what you had is uh, U.S. firms just yanked all the staff that they had in China from these certain uh, chip makers um, in China. Just pulled their staff, we're gone, we are out of here. Now, to understand the importance of this is there's a few different kind of chips you could do. You can have the low-end chips. Those are the Internet of Things chips. It's where your refrigerator uh, sends messages to your thermostat and sends message to your Apple Watch. It's that low-grade semiconductor. China can make those all on their own, but that's about all they can make on their own. They do not have the technical staff or uh, the skills or the equipment necessary to make semiconductors that are better than that, let alone semiconductors that would go into, say, an iPhone or your laptop computer or even into your vehicle, um, other usages like that. China can't produce that. So by Biden cutting off uh, U.S. staff and any kind of U.S. assistance, China is screwed. Um, they're in big trouble with this. Uh, they've been pushing hard at all these high-end applications like artificial intelligence, hypersonic missiles, and the like. Now they don't have anybody who can be an expert in that, who's from outside of the country. They can't get any equipment sent to them that can handle those kinds of applications. So, uh, yeah, China is, uh, their business is in bad trouble. And this goes into a message I know I've mentioned before on here. China is in big trouble in general. People are talking about them being the next superpower and they've risen so fast and they're going to uh, beat out America when it comes to international influence. The way I see it, they are barely hanging on for their life and they are in for um, a rough road ahead. One thing that's kind of interesting politically, though, is before it was sacrosanct, you couldn't bash China in U.S. politics. No, we need to be more enmeshed with them. We need more globalization. Trump is the one who broke the China and uh, broke that omerta that had fallen over U.S.-China trade and started saying, no, they're screwing us over. We got to put sanctions on them. Uh, now everybody thinks that. GOP, Dems, doesn't matter. And Biden might try to um, disengage or reverse everything that Trump did. Not on China, he isn't. He's getting even more aggressive uh, starting where Trump left off, which is just kind of interesting as far as international policy goes. What uh, China will probably do in return is put some kind of sanctions on the United States. They'll be complete jerks about it because they don't understand Western diplomacy and how it works. So all they're going to do is tick off more people, and you'll probably have European countries saying, yeah, okay, we're on Team America now. We're also going to ban exports to these countries. So it will be interesting to see what happens. There is also a story that a lot of retired Royal Air Force pilots for the Brits are um, training Chinese pilots on how to defeat Western fighters. Uh, this has just been, this info has been released in the UK. It is causing quite a problem. They're paying basically these former military pilots like a quarter million a year to train them. And uh, now people are very upset about it. Um, so hopefully the UK will uh, pull these people back because that's obviously, 
This is treason, like literal treason, not just metaphorical treason. So what you saw, you had Trump being tougher with China and exposing a lot of their misdeeds. Then you had COVID, and people are not openly blaming China very much, but countries around the world were just very uncomfortable because everybody knows it was a lab leak of some type, and everybody knows that they covered it up. The problem for China is they're still reeling from the after effects because their premier, Xi, is um, unwilling to get any kind of vaxes from the U.S. or Europe, and they have their own version of a vaccine, which really doesn't work. You think ours doesn't work great, um, doesn't really prevent transmission or getting COVID in the first place. Yeah, China's is just absolutely useless. He's so terrified of COVID spreading among the population, he's, he keeps doing lockdowns. Shanghai was locked down again. He's just again and again and again. And if you don't let people get out and build some kind of antibodies for this stuff, you're going to be doing this forever. There's no endpoint. And you saw that happen a little bit in Australia and New Zealand. They finally backed off China. They are still hardcore zero COVID policy, which is just crippling their industry. It's not working. Also has come out, a lot of their economic numbers have been proven false, and the government is slightly releasing data on that. Their census figures showing their massive population have been wrong by factors of 100 million. So their population is shrinking. Well, the book that I read over the weekend, uh, a guy named Peter Zihan, highly recommend you read his stuff. I've been watching. He puts out a lot of free contact and interviews and also uh, brief YouTube videos where he talks about developing news. He is, um, his expertise is in geopolitics, and what he does mostly is look at the demography of various countries, the geography that they're located in, and then the history of the global alliance. Here is his basic thesis. Hopefully, I will uh, relay it well. After World War II, there was something called Bretton Woods, and it was agreement where the United States agreed, look, free world, we will take over protecting all ship lanes around the entire globe, and we will uh, take on the security requirements of every country who is allied with us. What you need to agree to do is open your borders, free trade. That's it. That way, you can all get wealthier. You can pitch in here and there, like 2% in the NATO people, 2% of your GDP can go into defense. But the rest of it, we're the ones who will protect international shipping lanes. And they created a system that was unparalleled. Never before have you had an entire globe that is free trade, where people can just sail wherever they want to go and sell something, pick up something in Australia, sell it in Korea, then pick something up from Korea and sell it in Congo. That has never existed before. What you would have is you'd have spheres of influence. So the British would protect certain shipping lanes. They actually protected most for a while um, until World War II kind of kicked them out of the that role. Prior to the mass British Empire, the sun never sets on the British Empire, France would protect certain trade routes. Spain would protect certain ones. If Spain saw maybe a Portuguese ship that might be carrying some valuable spices, they would just pirate it. Um, this is how the world normally works and has worked throughout human history until the past 75 years or so. Well, as you've noticed, the U.S. is disengaging from this system. We can't afford it anymore. It, we did it to defeat the old Soviet Union. That's been gone for 30 years now. And the American people are getting a lot more introverted. It's like, why are we having wars of empire all over the planet when our own country's falling apart? It makes no sense. 
So that is the basic concept behind this book. And then he just says, okay, since this Bretton Woods order no longer exists, what does that mean for the world? And it is not pretty. This is a very dark book. Uh, what I like about it is Lihan, uh, he's a fellow Gen Xer, and he has a lot of humor in it, just to have a light touch, even when he's delivering not great information. But one country that cannot survive in this is China. It has a very brittle government, the longest that any um, regime has lasted in China throughout millennia of history, 70 years. How old is the current Chinese government? 70 years. Their population is plummeting. They had this one-child policy going on for a long time. Then they lied and said their population was bigger than it actually was. It is um, rapidly aging, and there is no generation to replace those people. So you're going to have major shrinkage of the population, to say the least. Similar things are going on in many European countries. Same thing is going on in Russia. To his credit, Peter Zihan predicted, I think it was in 2012 or something, he predicted that Russia would need to invade Ukraine by 2022 if they are ever going to take a shot at it, because after that year, the demographic reality will no longer allow them to project force on any level, even right next to their border. When did they do the invasion? 2022. So their population is plummeting. One thing Putin's been doing is stealing Ukrainian children and settling them in Russia to try to bolster the, just the mere numbers of people. Um, but obviously that war is not going well at all for him. But looking at the aging demographics all over the world, it's like everybody's population is going to be shrinking at about the same time. Also, when you have the largest generation, the baby boomers, uh, which kind of is kind of similar around the world, they're the ones who have been providing capital to all the easy credit loans and so forth that have kept business booming for many, many decades now, well, they're all pulling their money back. They're all retiring, and so they're going to super safe investments and just kind of protecting their lump of dough instead of uh, using it to seed other companies and the like. So he's basically saying you're going to have a lot of economic contraction going on around the world, and some nations can adapt to that and others cannot. China cannot. Uh, Japan has a chance. They actually have a pretty strong blue water navy, which almost nobody else on Earth has other than the U.S. and the U.K., probably another country or two in there. But um, they're the only nations that can really project power for long distances. Europe is screwed because uh, they have to import most of their energy, and uh, they've been importing it from Russia, and that is no longer available. Who knows if it ever will be? Germany has a very prominent and very high-quality industrial sector, if they don't have energy, the factory shut down. There's already been factories shutting down, and it's not even winter yet when people are going to be cold uh, and need a little bit of heat. So um, it is going to be rough sledding for several years. He says there's actually some company or some countries who, while their uh, productivity and success will dip compared to everybody else, it's going to be like the good life. One of them is the United States. We are in a part of the globe that is easily defensible, that is far away from the drama going on in Europe and Asia. We have a very strong military. We have a very well-educated, enterprising uh, community of people here, and we're energy rich. And, and also, too, we don't need um, other markets as much as other markets need us. So the seas get a little dicey around, say, Singapore, the Malacca Straits and the like. Um, it doesn't really affect us much because, you know, yeah, we might not to be able to buy that new margarita maker out of plastic. Um, we'll live. It's not that big a deal. 
We are uh, very food rich. A lot of countries import almost all their food, including China, including most of Asia, including the economic powerhouses in Asia. They are spending a lot of their times um, importing food. And as we noticed with the Ukraine-Russia mess, grain is being taken off the market in huge quantities and fertilizer is being taken off the market, which will hurt it further. Um, which countries, I know when I had Gray Connolly on here, gosh, at the very, I think a week before the invasion of Ukraine, we were talking about um, the vast majority of grain coming into countries like Egypt, um, the Middle East in general, it all comes from Russia. What happens when that just goes away? Um, that is kind of how revolutions start because people are hungry and uh, yeah, you need food ASAP. So could be a little dicey around the globe. America is in pretty good shape. Other countries, Australia and New Zealand, he was like, those are probably going to do okay overall. Argentina, despite a wildly dysfunctional government, um, if they get their act together, they have a lot of natural resources that could help them out. Um, what he kind of looked for the U.S. in general is kind of a Northern American zone um, that we would have with Canada, us, Mexico, and maybe some uh, Central American countries down to Colombia, which is pretty integrated with the U.S. as it is through uh, trade deals and so forth. Uh, we could become a block in anything that one country lacks, other countries could uh, provide. And also you would have protection of the U.S. Navy because it's right near the United States. So uh, you have full protection of the sea lanes there. So anyway, um, you got to read this book. I've actually sent an email to try to get him interviewed, but I know this is like New York Times bestseller. So who knows if he even reads his website and email, but I'll try to get him on. Uh, but the book is called The End of the World is Just the Beginning, and uh, I highly recommend it. Uh, don't get too depressed because, wow, there's some bleak, bleak stuff in there. But uh, forewarned is forearmed. And I also kind of like it because I have the same mentality since the early 2010s. I thought that the whole world order was spinning down in a lot of ways and we'd have a tough couple decades and then, you know, probably come back. That's what he says, probably 2040 or something. Everything will start recovering. And uh, thankfully, America, we're less worse off than other options. So things should be OK, but it's going to be a bit of a bumpy ride. But uh, I have what they call finish optimism, which means... If you think it's bad now, just wait. Yeah, so it's not super sunny, but it's like, oh, things. these are the good old days right now. It's, it's going to be tough sledding ahead. So uh, forewarned is forearmed. Prepare for it. Fantastic book. A little alarming, but uh, I don't know. I would, I would rather people give me worst case scenarios. And then if it turns out to be slightly better than that, I can go, oh, okay, good. Because I was uh, preparing for a lot worse than this. So when the bad times come, you're like, oh, this isn't as bad as I was expecting. And all these things, when you look at geopolitics, demographics, geography, they don't, and he admits, he admits in the books, they don't account for everything. Uh, what is the national government going to be like? Um, will you have good leaders or bad leaders? What is the ideology? Is it authoritarian or is it more laissez-faire? There's a zillion different things that could happen. And then you just have random things like changing weather patterns, which always come into play exogenous events, black swan events, which will happen that we don't even know is going to happen. You know, you could have uh, a few years with very few devastating hurricanes that could give one country um, an advantage over their neighbor. So it, it will be uh, interesting to see, but I highly recommend reading it. Hopefully I can get him on the podcast, but a very uh, eye-opening book and uh, check out his videos on YouTube, if nothing else. 
All right, now the most important part of any show, the song of the week. I discovered there's this band of identical twin brothers. They go by the name The Garden. They're out of Orange County. And it's just kind of this spiky, poppy, punky mix of guitars and electronics and very rapid drumming. This song is called, it, it gives you great life advice. It's called Chainsaw the Door. from the lyrics, if life presents you with a closed door, then you chainsaw through it. It might take a while, but it's quicker than using an axe on it. Once you get through the door, there will be more obstacles, but at least you knocked it down. So I think that is advice we can all live by. Just kind of a goofy, funny band. So I thought I'd include that for this week. Thanks very much for listening. Please consider joining Ricochet. Go to ricochet.com slash membership to join. It is dirt cheap. We'd love to have you there. You can post your own stories. You can comment on this podcast and our 50 other podcasts that are available. It's just a great place to be. So I highly recommend you check that out. Please also remember to leave a review for this podcast. Give us a nice five-star rating. That's always well appreciated. And that is it for this week. I will talk to you next week. Ricochet. Join the conversation.